If you are just tuning into the show, welcome and thank you. But this is a double episode, so back it up one episode so you can meet Lauren to catch her stories from the beginning. This episode picks up as Lauren steps into her first HR leadership role and into her first sexual harassment investigation at the same time. And she's reconsidering her decision. And I thought to myself, this is the worst decision I have ever made. How do I get out of this? Lauren reflects on her experience working in HR. My entire career of HR has been a series of really insane moments that you couldn't write in a book if you wanted to. I'm Michelle Aronson, and welcome to True Stories at Work where we discuss the best things about working in human resources, the people, the stories, and the things that happen at work that we didn't even know about. Workplace Confessions. I'm a recovering HR executive, certified coach, and business school professor who knows that the best stories happen at work. From heartbreaking to heartwarming, from hilarious to outrageous. Now, I help companies build better workforces by aligning values and actions to business strategy. This episode begins as Lauren is asking for the HR leadership role at her company. So I had an opportunity to become the HR manager at that time, and I said no. I was like, I'm not ready. We hired someone and he was a mess at best. And he ended up having me do all of his work. He only lasted four months. And when he left, I had done basically his job, my job, payroll, safety, like you name it, I was on everything. And I finally went to the ownership and I said, I really think at this point in time, don't hire me any more managers. Like I'm done. Just, just give me the job. Well, like a minute later, something happens and it's like, man, I stepped in it. Why did I ask for this level of responsibility? So we had two employees, a manager and his subordinate have a relationship and it sort of went through the grapevine till it came to me. But the reason why it came to me was because he was using company funds on project sites for them to have liaisons. And they were both married and they both had families. And so, you know, worst case scenario. <laughs> and I, of course, had to bring them in and say, you know, do we have a situation here? Can you walk me through if this is a voluntary relationship? Is there quid pro quo? Where are we at? And I had to ask them both to write me statements because I wanted to make sure that it really was a voluntary relationship and that they both had time away, you know, to think about the relationship and how it was defined and, and was it done voluntarily and in good faith. And so they both came back and were basically like, I'm not going to write that <laughs> and I'm not going to do that, but we are together and we're okay with it. Well, the gentleman's wife found out and it was a free fall from there. So work started to get worse for him. He came to work. It was awkward because this one was still here. We were working through trying to move her into a new management space, like moving her away from him. And he decided to hole up in the office late at night one night by himself and have a spin out in an email to the whole company. 
And it was probably the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And mind you, I always laugh at a lot of the things that happen in HR because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And you can't create, you cannot create this stuff. People are so creative themselves, they will give you material. And so he <laughs> he sent this manifesto. And the next day, of course, the owners are like, what happened? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm still trying to figure out where his equipment is. He's obviously quit because he edited the email that way. We're trying to lock everything down. And then her husband had her served in the office in front of the staff. And then uh, two weeks later, he runs into the safety director at the CrossFit gym and loses his mind on her in front of the CrossFit gym about the situation. And it just was like, everywhere I went, there was just some component. And I'm like, newly responsible for all this. And I thought to myself, this is the worst decision I have ever made. How do I get out of this? I navigated it with very wonderful legal assistance from our employment attorney. And we handled it and it finally resolved itself. But man, that was like not a great way to learn true investigation, quid pro quo, problems at the office, external issues that are bleeding into the company. I mean, it was everything. It was a case study in what could go wrong going wrong. I think it's a great way. Look how much you learned. You were like <laughs> ready for the next one. I feel for you because it was your first sort of, oh, I just asked for the job and now I've got the job. <laughs> yeah. It was a trial by fire. Wow. I'm glad you had support. And what a great story. Any other stories you want to share before I ask you my last few questions? I will say that like my entire career of HR has been a series of really insane moments that you couldn't write in a book if you wanted to. So I've got a lot of weird things that have happened that have made me a more well-rounded HR person. What's your most insane moment? At my last organization, we're a second chance company. And so we hired people with felonies which is absolutely great in my perspective. We want to give people opportunity. We want to help people in the re rehabilitation or re-entry. And so it's, it's okay with me, except for I did have one individual who I had to let go because he no-showed the job site and he was on work release. And so he decided to show up at my work at like four or five in the morning and wait for me. I remember the front desk person came in about 7.30 and she called me and said, hey, there's this guy in the parking lot and he's waiting for you. He's even told a couple of people who've asked him like, hey, is everything okay? No, I'm waiting for this person. And so she said, I just want to tell you. And I said, okay, I'll come in through the back. And so I was in like maybe an hour later, came in through the back and I walked out to his car and I tapped on the window and I said, I heard you're waiting on me. And he said, yes. And I said, come on in, let's talk. And he was very upset because he was going to have to go back to jail. And I, he wanted me to sign some paperwork that said that, you know, he had been either moving between sites or something to like make his situation better. And I just said, I'm not going to do that. I'm absolutely not going to do that. I can't misrepresent what I say on this paper. This is an attestation document. And so as much as it pains me to tell you this, unfortunately, your error is your error. And I'm not going to correct that for you. So if there's other documentation that you need from me, that's fine, but I can't assist you any further. And I remember the rest of the day wondering, is he going to kill me? <laughs> and I laugh about it because it's like, it's a crazy thing to say out loud, but I genuinely was like, when I walked to my car, should I have an escort? 
and this is going to be a very non-HR thing to say, but my owners were pretty staunch Republicans and they were very pro-gun. And I have a conceal. And and it's mainly because, you know, it's something I wanted for myself. It's not because like I'm out there trying to like create problems. But I went to my owners and said, you know, listen, I hire and fire felons. I don't know if I feel safe because there's not people here all the time. And when I leave, if this is going to happen, I need to do something about it. And they said, it's fine. You can carry in the office. And so there were good portions of my career where I carried. And that's a really weird situation to be an HR person who has a conceal on them because of their responsibility. Now, mind you, am I genuinely scared of any of those individuals? And here's the thing. The people who are non-felons are the ones you probably need to be scared of because they're the most erratic with no history you can even put your finger on. But there also was a sense of like control because if I worked late or my staff worked late, you know, I felt like maybe I could help. Maybe I could do something if something happened. And it was just really weird to go through that thought process and rationalize that and go, yep, this is a good answer. I think many of us have looked around corners and wondered for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks, like, is everything going to be okay? Because the work we do is is hard and yeah. sometimes it's terminating somebody or in your case, sending them back to jail. We had a, we had a portable panic button. It was like a Velcroed to a wall in our mailroom. And when you, when you had a termination you weren't sure of, you grabbed that button and just took it in the room so that you would be able to feel like you were able to get help and public safety would come running. I was actually ironically kind of pleased that my owners were so adaptable to the situation versus like, oh, you're just being, you know, extra or you're just overthinking Mm -mm. this. They were like, okay, if that is, that's what makes you feel safe, then we should do that. And, you know, there's two sides to that, which is one, should I not feel safe? Why is that acceptable? But then the other side is, is like, this is a reality. And it, you know, that, that employee baseline is a bread and butter for construction. And I don't make any assumptions about anyone when I meet them because your history is your history. It's not mine. And there have been times where I have been genuinely nervous about how this was going to land. And the fact that, you know, are there enough people on on that floor that, in, you know, that I'm having, they know I'm having a conversation. Are they aware that there could be danger afterwards? So, Yeah. That is yeah. that is one scary story. I would be nervous too. <laughs> I I never had anything quite that. I had my own erratic, but yeah, that could win a prize here for something <laughs> pretty. Knocking on the window and asking him like, "Oh, are you waiting for me?" I think that some of my stories they show companies not at their best. And what I will say about that is, as an HR professional, I think. I have struggled with that. I've worked in jobs where it's either been small organizations where they think they can do anything and they can make the rules up as they go, or it's kind of a good old boys club where, you know, hey, we're just freewheeling and they just need to get over it because this is how we do things. I think it's made me a stronger HR person. I have a strong moral compass. You know, I worked at a place where I felt like they worked so hard to make the wrong decision versus the right decision, even though I was giving really good advice. And, you know, my dad, I, cause he's done HR, sometimes I will bounce things off of him. And I called him one day and I was having a, a specifically difficult situation. There was an employee who had done some really gross, 
racially hateful statements and behaviors with his staff. Like he just was not a good person. And, and that's my personal opinion. And I went to the owners and I wanted to terminate and they were on board until they realized who it was. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, and then there becomes the justifications, you know, like, oh, he's worked here for a really long time. He's an integral member. He helps with this. He helps with that. And for me, it's not that hard to make the right decision. I'm like, is this who we are? Is this what you want? You know, this is, this is your branding. The minute you say this person can work here, they're wearing your name. Are you good with that? And I had to call my dad about it because I was like, they're not heeding my advice. And he said, but that's it. You need to figure out early and often in HR, you're there to give advice. You're there to give counsel and they get to make whatever decision they want to. And it was painful. I think there were uh, several trials like that at my last organization where I really struggled with decision-making because it was always, well, who is it? Or, well, do we have all the details? Even though it's like, you know, how many complaints do you need before it becomes real for you? And so I think as an HR professional, when I started looking for a new job or when I started looking to move out of that position, I wanted to work somewhere where it was cleaner. It just made more sense. I'm very blessed the organization I work with and work for, they make great decisions. And it's actually a little weird for me because I spent so many years in a different situation is like when something comes up and they're like, oh, that person definitely isn't a cultural fit. We should move on. I'm like, really? Okay, that's great. Like I'm almost made to be convinced like doing the right thing is okay. You know, it's like PTSD from trying to meander how to navigate mm -hmm. hard decisions and decisions I didn't agree with to being in an organization that maybe makes better decisions in my perspective and feeling comfortable because I don't need additional documentation and justification because it just is wrong. <laughs> I totally respect what you're saying about how hard it is as an HR person, making sure you're in the right culture, like just listening yeah. to how you feel about a company that actually respects your opinion, respects the workforce, wants to make sure that the people that are coming in are representing them well. Well, and one of the components of that that's really been impactful to me just as an individual is that, you know, when you're an HR person, you want to be a partner, you want to be a support person, you want to be a trusted source. And when you feel like you're fighting to have that be taken seriously, except for when shit goes south, then all of a sudden you're the most important person in the universe. And hey, can you come in and do the janitorial duties of your role? Don't, don't get me wrong. My last organization made some really great choices too. They did some wonderful things. But when, when you're left feeling like the only time you need me is in cleanup duty, when you leave, you're looking for something that feels more wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. And a, and a little more respected because I'm not here to do cleanup and glad hand everyone on their first day. I actually have a functional and strategic component that mm -hmm. can be very beneficial to your organization. Strategy is the best part. The stuff that's exhausting is when you don't have a strategy and you yeah. just keep, you keep living on that, that hamster wheel. You're really mm -hmm. not aligning things to uh, get better, better outcomes. Yeah. What is your workplace pet peeve? I think one of my biggest pet peeves is people just assuming everything related to people is an HR problem. I'm about over being the junk drawer 
for other people who don't want to own their stuff or do their things. So I love it when teams are like, oh, we're going to do a celebration. Let's have HR plan that. And it's like, no, it sounds like you want to have a celebration you need to plan. I don't know how this became my problem. And don't Can I come? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're like, oh, no, but it's it's about people. And I'm like, it's really not. It's about your project. It's a, not about specific, like holistically every employee in the company. And so it's sort of like being painted with that just very gray brush of like, oh, everything that doesn't make sense, give to HR because that's where it goes. That drives me crazy. And I hate that people make that assumption because something <laughs> something helps people or engages people that it does automatically fit in the HR space. At some point, people need to realize culture is everyone's responsibility. We are not the culture bullies. My job is not to make you love your job. My job is to make sure your job makes sense. You have the tools you need, the information you need, and you're being supported. And if something goes wrong, my job is to get in the middle of that. I, I'm not here to make sure your day is pleasant and easy. And I just feel like everybody assumes HR is the Walmart greeter of an organization and we're not. We're just not. <laughs> no, I feel like we're more the flight attendants. We're like showing you the emergency preparedness exits. Yep. We might pass you a drink or two, yeah. but we're really there for safety, you know, and holding mm -hmm. the container of your culture. It's funny because you see all of these new trainings that are out there about like how HR can impact culture. And I'm like, you know, culture is a company responsibility, not a department responsibility. Okay. And it's organic. And there are cultures within cultures within cultures. So every department has a feel and every group has a feel. And then there's an organizational feel. And then there's mm -hmm. the carve outs where people have clicked up. And my job is not to make all of them fit like puzzle pieces. You know, you need to own a lot more than HR to do culture. Yeah. Culture is your values. Mm -hmm. well, culture really made sense for me when I took over customer experience because yeah. that's the point where our culture came together. But it's got to be intentional and it's got to be strategic. Everybody in the company needs to understand what it means. Every single executive needs to yes. believe it and then everybody on down. Anything left that we didn't talk about that you would still like to share? I think in a post-COVID world, HR is looking a little different and how HR professionals feel about their jobs are changing as well. I will even admit, like, there's times where I'm like, man, why do I still do this? Why am I still in this? And I really do like to be a trusted source and, and someone people can come to and who, someone who can help mentor and train and support. I love that. But the rules and the laws and the meandering and the expectations of employers that people have for the company, but not for themselves, it's just getting harder and harder. So, you know, I would almost ask you, maybe as you move through this journey with other HR professionals, maybe find out why they stay, because it's a daily challenge. Love that. Yeah. Why do you stay? It's hard to determine it. I think you pick it every morning. There are days where I'm like, you know, it's voluntary to drive in. That's a voluntary action. But then there's other times where you're like, oh, I really, I really feel like I get to come here and, and do something valuable. But man, the laws are making it hard. They're making it harder and harder to be an HR professional. Everything's so gray. There's a rule for a rule for a rule. And I just think, I think we've gone a little out there in all the things that we have to take into consideration to run a business. 
You know, I am a bottom line kind of person because I've had a lot of different functions in my life. And I feel like sometimes people need to realize that when companies are for profit, they can't meet every whim. Sometimes you have to make business-driven decisions. It's not cold, it's specific. So I don't know, I just, I would be curious to hear what other professionals feel with the dynamics because it is different. And harder. It gets harder yeah. and harder. I agree. It, there's no, nobody's lightening the load of bureaucracy in the world. And yeah. with the talent market that's been mm -hmm. on a roller coaster, every day I turn on the news, there's somebody new striking. I mean, yeah. it's kind of crazy. I mean, it really is. So, yeah, I think it's hard. It's hard to want to do good, be fiscally responsible, still have the support structure and the things that you need as an organization to attract and attain or retain. But, right. um, but then also to realize you're running a business. And at the end of the day, if you're not profitable, nobody makes any money because nobody works there anymore. No, I totally agree. I love that. And I love the question, why do you stay? So <laughs> thank you for, thank you for sharing that. And did you tell me why you stay? I tell people, and, and this sounds really nasty. It's not meant to be, but like, I tell people that I I don't love HR anymore. Like I'm not enamored with HR, but I am really, really good at it. And I feel like I can bring value to the organization and to the people who need the things that I understand and know. And so I come here to help others manage, train, and meet their people where they need to. And, and that's the reason why I stay in it is because I feel like I can make people better managers and leaders because they need to understand these are unique special individuals that all have their own wants and you've got to find a way to distill that down to also meeting your expectations too one bad leader impacts how many people yes you know? and that's that artistic thing i talked about right so you're painting a paintbrush in the organization and you're helping them with those those situations where you maybe have somebody who is destroying a culture or who is negatively impacting others, maybe doesn't even realize they're doing it. And those little artistic strokes within an organization can be the difference between happy people driving to work and people mm -hmm. who arduously get in their car and drive to work. Yeah. yeah. We do make a difference, even if it doesn't always feel that way. That's we right. We can do it. <laughs> it was really a delight having you on the show. So thank you for, for taking this time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite. We've all done something bad at work. But here's your chance to confess. From small wrongs, like borrowing office supplies to simplify your back-to-school shopping, or snacking on a co-worker's lunch, to the major workplace sins, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll type. Here is today's Conscious Clearing Confession. This workplace confession is from a former partner in crime, a leader in my organization who couldn't figure out how to record his own workplace confession by himself, so I had to help him. In this confession, he shares the impact my rule bending had on him. And in the end, we both learn more about the experiences and the other person. I was thinking of bringing my family down for a visit to Chicago, but the museums were so expensive. I didn't want to, I'm very cheap sometimes. So I would say, well, maybe not sometimes, maybe all the time. And you were on cue saying, well, you know that the Chicago libraries have free 
offer you museum passes. But here's where it started getting a little hairy. You and I ended up going to the museum. I'm not very familiar with parking downtown. It was the library yes, in yes. Lincoln Square. We ended up going to the library to pick up the passes on our lunch. And where I live, we have plenty of parking spots wherever you go. So we pull around. I think we circled one time at the, where the the library entrance was. And then you said, oh, you know what? We can just park here. And it was a handicapped spot right in front of the door. And I wasn't driving. I said, no, I don't think this is not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. Like, what? what is your problem? I'm only going to be in there for a minute while I go get you your pass for your six-person family to come down and go to the museum. And I said, what happens, let's just say, hypothetically, what happens if a police officer comes by and I'm in the passenger seat? I can't move your car. What, what do you want me to do? You looked at me like I was from a different planet. Now, mind you, we're almost arguing in the car, wasting time while parked in the handicapped spot in front of the library already. You're like, just sit here. Do not go anywhere. Do not say anything. Do not worry. I'll be right back. I, I would say you were gone for less than five minutes. But in that five minutes, I was the most paranoid. I was like a caged animal with the windows rolled up. I don't think I did damage to the inside of your car. But I do understand how animals feel when they're locked inside a car now. So... No, you did not get a ticket. No, you did not get towed. But I will tell you that was one of the most traumatic car experiences I've ever been in. Thank you, Michelle. Okay. First of all, the city is a hard place to live. And I think we were in, there were two handicapped spots yes. and there was also a bus stop. So I felt like there's a lot of room to work oh, oh with. The other factor oh my goodness. you are leaving out that was left out of this story is the fact that I had called and they happened to have those passes. And these were back in the days where you couldn't just reserve it online. You had to get in there while it's available because within a second, somebody's going to come snatch that up. So time was your money in that scenario. So anyway, I parked the car left you in it like a child in the 70s oh my and goodness, ran yes. into the store and was back out within probably three minutes. Yep. And we went and picked up lunch and went back to work. We also It only was had the a... worst. It was actually the worst time oh ever God. that I've been in a car. You're welcome. You're welcome. You <laughs> clearly need to be pushed out of this comfort bubble that you're in. But I agree. I would not park in a handicapped place. I don't have a fake placard. All those things. I would That's never do why that. You, it just occurred it to took me. 30 seconds. I know you're traumatized permanently. And that is just. Sick. No, by the way, because of that situation, I will never in my life park in a handicapped spot ever. Ever. All right. I'm glad. Congrats. Me too. But every once in a while for a friend, <laughs> I'm willing to bend the rules. You're just Thanks. that kind of friend. 
the thing that is really, really cool about this is it's so funny how you see the situation unfold. Like, Do you see it right or wrong? What does that mean? What it means is when we talk through a story, it's different than when you say, okay, this is how it unfolded. Because there's certain things in there, as an example, that stick with you that are, I'm not sure if they're annoying or they're funny or they're like, wait a second. You are a cheap person with six people in your family. And I was trying to do something nice for you. And you're complaining that I parked while I was getting your pass. You complained about me parking in a handicap. There's nobody there. It's an interesting thing. Even to this day, it's a little embarrassing, but not embarrassing. It's, it's, it's humbling because you realize how different people are and, and that you don't always see the value. You always focus on your own value versus somebody else's value. I, I did this just today. I'm thinking, oh, I should say I'm sorry to you because that was, that was so kind that you did that. So thank you. How's that? Sorry. And I'm thank you all together. Now clear your conscience by submitting your workplace confession at physicsatwork.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. If you work in HR and have a story to share, please visit my website, physicsatwork.com slash podcast. Stories are what people remember and how we connect. So please share yours with me. Thanks. Haiku for Lauren. Lauren knows HR isn't the junk drawer for all parties and problems. <laughs>